This is the Darcy Jarreau Podcast, episode 24. Today my guest is Alex Joel, leader of the Libertarian Party of BC. We're going to be talking about his political campaigns provincially and in the city of Langley. Alex Joel, welcome back to the Darcy Jarreau Podcast. How things? Uh, things are well. Uh, I'm just at the tail end of some vacation time and about to head back to the salt mine, so to speak. So I'm well rested for this uh, this chance to speak on your show. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I guess when I say uh, welcome back, uh, <laughs> what I mean is, so the listeners understand, we did record an episode uh, and we had a great chat, but I never got it out in time and we're going we're gonna to redo it here. Yeah, update a few things that uh, would have been uh, out outdated and irrelevant. But uh, yeah, I'm glad glad to have a chance to come back on and chat with you. Yeah, well, the the news cycle moves so fast, you can't can't keep up with it anyway, right? Um, so let's see. So for so the listeners know you are the interim leader of the Libertarian Party of British Columbia. Uh, our good friend Keith McIntyre has stepped aside for personal reasons. This happened a couple months ago. Why don't you tell That's us right. a little bit about that? Yeah, Keith was uh, our leader throughout the pandemic. Uh, he had a really great skill set for that. Uh, he had some experience uh, with pandemic uh, planning and he was really able to speak to the failures of our central planners. Uh, he then burned out. He he admitted that he went all in on it. Um, his personal life was struggling. His business uh, ventures were struggling. So uh, we all really appreciated the work that and the time he put into the BC Libertarian Party uh, for that short time. Uh, he he grew it in some ways, and he was able to reach out um, and yeah you know, to different sectors. Uh, of the province, different groups of people that previously may not have entertained a conversation with a libertarian, so to speak. Uh, so he was definitely uh, a great leader for that time. And it's time that we find another one. Uh, I became the deputy leader back in May. And so uh, until our next leadership convention, which will be this coming May, I believe, uh, that's what we're planning it for. Until then, yes, I am the interim leader, and uh, ho- hopefully we'll, we'll be able to uh, get some things done and spread the message of liberty. Yeah, yeah, right on. So uh, when's the next election? Like, when's the next provincial election in BC? So it's expected to be 2024, so we're probably about a year and a half away. So while we're right in the middle of a cycle, uh, it it happens quicker than you think, right? right? It's it's tough trying to drum up interest in the party mid-cycle, though. And we are really struggling with a bit of apathy from uh, our our members. Uh, we're our core volunteers. You know, we're always there. We're well, even us. We, 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 we know we don't want to overburden ourselves we all have family lives we all have uh employment uh you know none of us are career politicians so we're we're just trying to 
to get this message of liberty out. And uh, often politics are the, the best vehicle for it. Uh, we, we have all sorts of, you know, through all candidates forums and newspaper stuff during an election campaign. Uh, it's, it's basically free media, but the downside is it's so much harder to, to, to produce content in between uh, the election years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, I always find it ironic that, uh, you know, within our community, nobody hates politics more than than us. We, a lot of times, we'd rather focus yeah. on philosophy <laughs> and economics, but but uh, it's this, it's just this battle against the the giant corporate state that uh, that keeps us coming back. So now, here's something else, uh, something I haven't followed. You guys have a new premier in British Columbia. That's right. I don't know who this guy is. I don't even know what happened to the last guy other than the uh, Horgan was the last yeah. guy. Now he I do know he got sick. He had some sort of cancer. I didn't I don't know if that had anything to do with him retiring. Can you can you fill me in on that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, and I don't know the details too much other than yes, John Horgan did step down. Uh he was sick i believe it was pancreatic cancer and it's not looking great for him so i guess to focus on his health he stepped away from the leadership role uh a lot of people assume he's gonna you know resign from his mla spot as well uh and david ebby turned out to be the only person to put their name in for the leadership there was one other lady who put her name in and there was a big controversy about that she was uh, not eligible to do so. And uh, so, yeah, David, David uh, Eby, uh, he's now the premier. I uh, just got sworn in and yeah, he's wasting no time uh, kissing babies and trying to impress everyone. Uh, it's coming out with uh, another spend package. It seems every week. Oh yeah. Well, well, first of all, I mean, as much as I, uh disagree with John Horgan's politics and uh and I think some of his ideas are incredibly dangerous uh you know hopefully hopefully he gets better nonetheless uh so this this Evy guy now did they hold an actual leadership convention or was this just some uh like an interim position that that he's holding no, I think it was intended to be a full-on convention, and because there were no uh, no other competitors, that they just acclaimed him to the role. Okay, and what was his role before yeah. this? He he's had a lot of different portfolios. Uh, he was uh, in charge of uh, transportation before. Of um, he was in charge of uh, was he finance minister perhaps before. Uh, like he's, he's had all, all the big ticket ones. Uh, uh, don't believe he's been in charge of healthcare, but, uh, a, a big one for him, uh, he was in charge of ICBC, so to speak, uh, you know, our, uh, our government monopoly auto insurance company here. And he reigned over it as they tried to adapt it to be more, um, cost effective. So what happened there, they brought in something that is referred to as no-fault insurance. So they basically taken away the insurance uh, owner's right to get a lawyer and come after the insurance company. Uh, everything is done by ICBC. 
And while it is saving millions of dollars, taxpayer dollars uh, and ratepayer money, uh, the downside is people are being underserved in some scenarios. Um, they're not getting the treatment that they need after a, a car crash. Uh, and, and when it comes down to it, if you don't have a choice where to go, what incentive does the does the insurance company have to serve you better? Oh, so absolutely. That's, that's, yeah, so that's where we're at. So David Eby, he was definitely uh, a big uh, a big catalyst in in that change, and it based it took a little wind out of the sails of of the BC Libertarian Party uh, in that our NICBC campaign is kind of. We, we've lost some of our supporters because they're a lot of people just wanted to pay less for their insurance. They said, look at Alberta, look at Ontario. They're paying so much less. And we we're like, yeah, it's because you've got a monopoly and there's no incentive to decrease. Rate. Well, now they've decreased the rates. Yeah. So well, a lot of people are now satisfied with that, with what's occurred. They, they were giving rebate checks being sent out to people. I mean, of course it barely fills a gas tank, but that's not the point. People see a, a government giving money. And that, and this is this. So this is David Eby. He was, um, you know, a big, big part of that program, that, that rollout. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's right now um, trying to deal with the uh, healthcare crisis. That's his latest thing. Okay. Well, imagine, Imagine people surprised when, uh, you know, when the government monopolizes something and the service, the quality of service begins to fall, right? Exactly. It's like, like uh, and then, and here's the other thing to remember about ICBC is that it is, it is basically broke and people who are happy about this short-term uh, expediency regarding a few minor cuts in prices, they will, they will be paying for this in the long run, whether it's through taxes or uh debt or whatever that looks like or you know quality of service continuing to fall um so right. your guys's platform is basically says to abolish ICBC um let like let's let's talk a bit about that i mean is that was that in itself not as a popular enough um approach to to keep people interested um like when they're just when they're looking for these you know few hundred bucks a year in in savings maybe uh de definitely our platform uh would would be to get rid of the monopoly first and foremost uh previously uh our our policy was we wanted to turn it into uh a cooperative uh so that it was a state owned but it was uh of course it would be voluntary to buy your insurance through there because you we would legalize the sale of the comprehensive coverage or the, the basic coverage because currently there are private auto insurers in British Columbia but it's for the extra um, you know collision coverage and whatnot so we would immediately legalize that uh, because we found that there's not a lot when you when you say to privatize something that scares off some people because they have these illusions of some uh, you know robber barons that are out there to benefit and pocket all the money uh, while the, you know the residents the ratepayers are struggling and uh, as much we can debate whether that <laughs> would occur or not but so so our real our real goal is to just everywhere we go abolish the monopoly itself 
legalize competition. Uh, And if you look at our platform across the board, that's generally uh, just legalizing the free market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, um, I think I said this the last time we talked, but we don't we don't shy away from the word privatize on this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I know it's 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 music to my ears, but uh, we, we one of the things as libertarians, you know, when we're in a political party and we're trying to grow it, uh, we we do need to be careful with what words we're using. Unfortunately, we are trying to appeal to as many people as we can. Uh, one of the things that Keith did well was he, he he wasn't so careful. He was really trying to reach out to you know the the fringe minority, as our prime minister called called us, the people that felt totally thrown away by the establishment parties. And we so his his colorful nature definitely appealed to to some people. Uh, we grew to our highest uh, membership numbers that we've ever had. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely more of a, uh, a subtle libertarian with, when I'm speaking, when I'm spreading our message, I'm always looking, trying to look for, uh, what people, what people really want to hear. And unfortunately, more often than not, that's, that's statism. That's, they want more government. So I'm trying to find ways to tell them like, well, maybe this kind of government would be better than what you're proposing. And Oh, for Never sure. mind that I would I would love to abolish the state altogether. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that 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 clip's going to come back to haunt you in the next in the next campaign. <laughs> I uh, I had so of course I've run for many many offices before, including one time I ran in a uh, school board by election, and somebody came on and asked. Uh, onto uh, one of the social media sites and said, so w- what was your goal to, to get elected and then tear down the system from the inside? And I laughed. I'm like, well, to be honest, I would, that would be my goal. But of course there's no, the school trustee doesn't have that authority. So what a, <laughs> yeah. what a ridiculous thing to ask me. Yeah. But yes, we, we want to le- legalize, you know, people's right to, uh, to educate their children, however they please. And, get rid of our, uh, our, our broken government school system. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, for sure. And this is, uh, you know, the, I've talked with people about this lots is, I mean, those are the types of positions that we want to get more libertarians involved in, uh, you know, those small, smaller offices directly connected to community resources where you actually do have the ability to hold uh people and bureaucrats uh, accountable and and to potentially rein in some of this the crazy over the top spending um the some of the crazy uh you know social stuff that's going on um you know the kind of uh you know weird cultural stuff that we see I don't want to get too much into it but some of the stuff we see going on in schools these days right that um that some people you know and again some people are going to agree with that stuff and some people aren't but you have you can't have this one size fits all model for education and then start crowbarring all this uh this weird socialist nonsense and uh you know the, this weird um cultural agenda into that one size fits all thing right yeah definitely and it's interesting that you bring that up we do 
we do now have a bit of a, a change in our focus uh, here in our provincial party and that uh, we, we are starting to look into trying to get people elected to local positions. So, for example, in this past uh, past election we just had in October, uh, I, I ran for the position of councillor in the township of Langley uh, where I live yep. and our, uh, our past president, Clayton Wellwood, he ran for councillor in the District of North Vancouver. We had Karen Litsky, she ran for a school trustee in, in Vancouver. And Guluk Budai, he, he ran again for mayor in Vancouver, as he's done many times. And not surprisingly, when we're all running on very libertarian themes, none of us got elected. So uh, that's <laughs> I'm still able to fulfill my duties as uh, an interim leader. Uh, because I'm not any more busy, but uh, well, but let me with let me ask city you, issues. <laughs> but here's here's the statistic I would look at more: not that you're not only that you weren't elected, but like what percentage of the vote did you get in a local election compared to the percentage of the vote you would in a provincial election? Yeah, so that it's a little different too in that. Uh, we vote for our councillors at large. So, for example, if you have eight councillors in the township of Langley, you get eight selections. So we had 28 candidates for council. So people go up to the ballot box and they select one mayor, up to eight councillors, and five school trustees to fill five of the seven spots. And to, for a voter to learn the policies of 28 different people, it's, it's asking a lot. And that is, you know, considered one of the reasons uh, that we've seen a lot of voter apathy. Uh, voter turnout was way down. Now, how I performed on the ballot, uh, I did. I got 2,100 votes. So technically, that's the most I've ever received for any election. Uh, four years ago, when I ran for mayor in the township of Langley, I got about 1,800 votes. So uh, that was less. But one of the benefits to running for council, uh, like I said, here in BC, this is how we do it. We vote at large. Uh, it's I might not be a lot of people's first choice for councillor or their second choice, but I might be a lot of people's eighth choice or seventh choice. And so it's impossible to know where where I stand on any of those 2100 I, I acquired. But, you know, one of the driving factors for why we think that we might have more success is because people might be more willing to take a chance on somebody with a more extreme message of, you know, slashing and burning the state when they're not putting all the mar marbles in one basket. So, for example, if you're voting for your local MLA or, or member of parliament, uh, you're you're probably less likely to take a chance on a libertarian because you might think for whatever reasons to throw away vote or for what number of reasons. But if there was a local libertarian running for, for school board. Like, well, you know, we might be able to use an alternate voice, somebody that might try and rein in that quarter of a billion dollar budget. So, uh, yeah, that definitely it's, it's one of the directions we're looking. Uh, and it's just another opportunity for us to get involved in our own communities. Cause to be honest, I think that's, that's a place where we could really have a lot of strength I know uh, Jason Bax, he was our candidate in a um, provincial by-election just recently. Uh, I believe it was in September. He, 
he has a great community presence and it, it showed when he, he performed quite well uh, percentage wise uh, compared to our historical uh, results. So yeah, being involved in your community goes a long way and it's easier to stand out like that at the local level as opposed to uh, the, the higher offices of MLA and MP. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you were campaigning for city councilor, were you were you campaigning on a platform of uh, pr- privatizing the sidewalks and the sewer <laughs> systems? Goodness! Oh, oh man! Yeah, that was my alternate platform. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> it was a mirror website. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, good. No, and and fair fair question. What what would a libertarian do in a city council? Uh, I, you know, I, I platformed on getting rid of the RCMP. I said that we need a local police force that's tailor-made for us. Uh, that's a tough sell for a lot of people. Uh, they're just in love with the, the, the imagery of, of a Mountie, right? Mm. There's that, uh, the RCMP is also less expensive, uh, partly because it's subsidized by the federal government. It, they pay some of the local budget. Uh, I believe it's 10%. But one of the things I brought up is like, well, you get what you pay for. There are statistics that show that RSMP underserves every community uh, that it is the contract police force for in comparison to local police forces. And this last year, their costs increased by 23%. Now, some of that's inflationary, obviously. I mean, we have, you know, you know, six to ten percent inflation, uh, whatever number you want to believe. I mean, some things it's higher. So part of that is just cost of everything going up. But the other part is they just unionized the RCMP, and so they're just not as cheap as they used to be. Oh yeah, so I, the I didn't benefits, know that. Right, the benefits to uh, RCMP was it, they were uh, cheaper, yeah. they were less expensive, and now that's not necessarily the case. So I applied for, or I, um, I campaigned on that. I, uh, what, I mean, that's a really good, like to me, that's a really good conversation to be having at a local level because, you know, it, and it's one thing to stand out on the, out on the street with like a big sign that says, you know, abolish the RCMP or like, you know, that, that gets confused with this idiot defund the police kind of movement but when you talk about when you actually talk about something that's tailor-made to fit your community where there's you know people from within the community providing the police force and again that level of accountability on a local level i mean that should you know that's something that you would assume would resonate with normal people on a on a local level yeah and unfortunately i mean it it wasn't necessarily the sticking point that I wanted, but one of the things I will say, and this is I, this is speaking to why why I run in all these elections, it's the local newspaper now has it as a question on their questionnaire for all candidates. Do you want to bring in a local police force? And and I feel that me discussing it uh, in the 2018 election campaign really brought that to the forefront. So, well, we, we talk about our end ICBC campaign. Well, in 2017, we, we started that, um, that movement. And then in the 2020 election, the BC liberals, uh, you know, one of the, the, the top, the, the opposition party 
to our government, they brought on our same policy. So we feel that we started the discussion, had it not been for us, perhaps wouldn't have been there. And yes, I mean, it's a, it feels like our uh, our ideas have been hijacked, but at the same time, we, we just want less government. We want more freedom. So we're going to, we're going to accept it any way we can. So yeah, yeah at, the lo- at the local level, it is tough to really drive home that message when the, the budget is already so tight. I mean, when their only way to raise funds uh, often is uh, through uh, property taxes. And uh, so then you have to tax developers with CACs and DCCs and and that it has a negative effect on development, which and, and yeah. housing affordability. And we could talk for hours about oh, that. Yeah. But I mean, the other thing local governments can do is push back against the province and the feds on some of the taxation that's incurred. Uh especially when the idea would be to fund these, you know, any of these projects like, look, Ottawa or look, Victoria, if, you know, if you're in Langley, that's the, your provincial capital. But, you know, the the idea would be to say, look, we don't want all this, these welfare transfers. We don't want all these grants and for all this stuff. We want to fund this stuff from within our community. But you got to lay off on the, on the extra taxation on the, on the people that live here also, right? Right. Right. And that was when I ran for school board. I argued that I said, we need to stop asking for more money. Like we need to, you know, work within our means. Uh, People didn't like that. (laughs) People said, no, we have to demand more from uh, Victoria. Yeah. Well, you got to remember how many of those people are, uh, you know, bureaucrats and, uh, you know, welfare recipients and people who benefit from that sort of system. Right. Well, often they're employed by the system. Yeah. They're right. They're employed by the education uh, sector. You know, the teachers, administrators. Yeah. So yeah, they absolutely benefit from the growth. Yeah. Uh, those, are, uh, those are the people yeah. voting. Those are the people voting to take money away from the actual productive sector or or the private sector, right? That's right. One one of my uh, kind of little pet campaign uh, policies that I ran on that didn't get a lot of traction, but I wanted to implement a bit of a naming rights uh, program in our, in our city uh, to, to raise funds because uh, it's, it would be totally voluntary obviously, but it was a way to waste to, to raise funds to pay for all the capital projects. So for example, uh, naming overpasses and naming, uh, or adopt a roundabout programs where people could pay money and uh, you know just take care of it themselves, as opposed to having you know high-paid city workers do it. Uh, naming naming fields for you know community donors, as opposed to you know volunteers from the past that perhaps had some skeletons that will be dug up in the future, <laughs> right? which often happens, right? Where yeah, it's uh, we. You know, it's it's a lot easier to, to to change it from Pepsi to Coca Cola than it is to try and talk someone into why their grandfather is no longer on, uh, has his name on, on the on the sports field banner. But uh, it de- definitely we we need to look at creative ways to bring in revenue for these municipalities and in a mo- the most voluntary way possible. Yeah, uh, I, I just. I really do speak to uh, to that as much as I can uh, because just 
with the, everything increasing in costs, I mean, we're, we're, we're always looking for ways to, uh, to grow our cities because we are just you know, growing in population and, uh, a lot of the infrastructure is aging. So things cost money. We're not, we're not just libertarians aren't living in a dream world. We know things cost money. So you're always looking for unique, creative ways to find that money. That's as voluntary as possible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So getting back to the BCLP, when you guys have your leadership convention in May, are you intending to uh, run to stay on as leader of the BCLP? Yeah, yes. Thanks for the question. I I am going to put my name in. I'm very hopeful that somebody more qualified than myself or more enthusiastic and with more time to offer the position does step up. Uh, It's always a role uh, that I knew I wanted. Uh, I just really didn't feel that it, it was the right time in my life to uh, to take it on. And unfortunately, through uh, circumstances, uh, I am now in that role. Uh, so I'm going to do what's best for me and our party. And if I'm elected in May to the role, I'm going to serve it as best I can. Uh, I feel that I do have a lot to offer the role in that I am a little more uh, soft-spoken compared to some of the abrasive uh, types. Uh, I I believe that I have a lot of experience uh, getting my name out there. Uh, Just again, I've been on so many ballots. Uh, I really feel that my age now is kind of coming into that sweet spot where I'm not considered too young and inexperienced anymore. You know, I've seen the world, uh, I got the gray hair to show it, but, uh, I, I, I'm not getting to that point yet where, uh, I'm, I would say that definitely, if you looked at a lot of these politicians often as old white guys, right? Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there yet. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I'm, uh, so I would say I, I have a lot to offer as the face of the party. Uh, I'm not afraid to uh, to put my my name on the line for anything libertarian related. So uh, I, I'm I'm proud of the role that I I have now. Uh, and again, I if if somebody else steps up to the role, uh, I would be more than happy to support them instead. So. Uh, I hope that answers your question. Well, yeah. Do you know of anyone else who's put their name forward for it? Not yet. No. Yeah. We we're we're just in the planning processes of the AGM now, uh, picking the 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 location and the date, and we'll be nailing that down very shortly. But uh, and then we'll be we'll put out the call. Uh, I I know our our previous convention, uh, we had we we had a couple names, so we actually had a leadership race and uh, we had a vote, and that was great. I know with the uh, the federal Libertarian Party, uh, when Tim Moen stepped down, we uh, we had quite a few candidates, and that was great. That we had a lot of options, a lot of voices to choose from. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm all, also not just the leader of the provincial party. I am a member of the Libertarian Party of Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so am I. I'm still uh, still involved. Um, yeah, it and you know I, you know for me, a lot of it is just being part of the, the community. I mean, there's, um, I, I get a lot of people who are, you know, well-versed in the Austrian libertarian, uh, tradition 
are are aren't that uh aren't that optimistic that uh these political parties of ours are you know the the right way to a- approach some of this stuff but uh, i i think you know it, i think it is i th- i think you need you need to we need to be coming at this from all kinds of angles and having names on ballots is a good one but also you know starting things like uh alternative schooling initiatives and and different you know smaller community collectives and and tax advocacy groups and any of that stuff it, it, you know all all of it comes together to to form a a nice consistent uh message uh, among all these different things right 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 no and definitely to speak to that uh, some some of the best people I know I've met through some of these political parties that it, it, and it really, really we're we're trying to attract the best people, but uh, it 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 sometimes you need that camaraderie to just regardless of of if we're going to be winning elections or not. Yeah, we're we're just also trying to stay stay sane in this yeah. crazy status world right yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> we just keep each other afloat yeah and and i guess i should say also that some of these other more uh what might call themselves libertarian uh nonprofits and whatnot they actually want nothing to do with me like I, my, i'm still a little too <laughs> radical for them because they they still need to they're still trying to uh attract the mainstream somehow and uh even so but uh so let's see. Here's something. Here's something I have to talk about. Uh, it, you know, not nothing to do with what we've talked about so far, but I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, have you been watching uh, what what Kanye West has been up to lately? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I and I just I, I I can't stop thinking about it, and because I think it takes a lot. To make Alex Jones blush, <laughs> yeah, and and man, what a crazy, uh, what a crazy fall that guy's been on. I I found uh, I, I I find that his story is only interesting because of how uh, you know out there it is. Uh, I'm locking for uh, a term, but. Uh, it, it seems unbelievable. Yeah. So we, we have this, this guy, Kanye, who ran for president, you know, at the last presidential uh, election there in, uh, two years ago and had this sit down meeting with Donald Trump and brought along a couple of other interesting characters. Yeah, a, a Holocaust denier. <laughs> <laughs> and then allegedly, and I don't know that, but I, I, I was told that uh, he asked Trump to be his running mate. Oh yeah, possibly yeah. And who who has that kind of gumption? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's that, and and, I, and that just really really points out that he is struggling to balance the line of reality, and um, and it's it's too bad because, like you said, it it is a bit of a fall. I mean, he's one of the most successful uh, people in his field, yeah, uh, ever, but his comments that he's making unfortunately uh he's not able to back it up with anything more than his outlandish actions yeah uh, and and so uh as, as much as i i don't fault him for having his opinions uh, de- definitely there are better ways to go about convincing people of 
of a of a controversy or a conspiracy than uh, than the way he's done it. So I'm 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 sorry to see it, and it, and I and I try not to pay attention to this stuff, but I agree with you, Darcy. Sometimes you just can't not see it, right? Well, it, it makes for good television, that's for sure. Like a car crash, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I oh. and it, one of the best things I saw uh, was a meme about the next. Uh, the next ticket for the presidential, uh, the libertarian provincial, the libertarian presidential ticket in the U.S. was uh, Kanye West and Spike Cohen. <laughs> oh man! Oh god! But uh, okay, let's get back to some real business here. Um, what are your thoughts on? You know, COVID. We might have seen the worst of it, and the lockdowns and the mandates and stuff. But I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, paranoia and and for and for good reason that uh, that some of these policies, uh, as far as lockdowns and mandates are, you know, will become somewhat entrenched in uh, federal policy, provincial policy, even local uh, government stuff. Uh, what like what are your thoughts on the the future of this COVID craziness? Is it going to continue or? Um, I mean, it might not be with COVID, but it could be with any, any sort of flu bug or illness that comes along. They might, this, has this set a precedent that we are going to see continue into the future here? I, I, I think that it unfortunately has opened the door. I said that right back in March, 2020, I said, regardless of what happens with this illness and with like, we'll get our rights back to an extent, but they'll never forget how easy it was to take away our rights. And they'll, they're, the, the playbook's been written now. If, if it wasn't already pre-planned, as uh, some people believe, it, it's it's now laid out, the blueprints are there. So we, we could, you know, there are some people speculate on climate lockdowns or, or uh, anything like that. But it, I think if we strictly stick to a healthcare perspective uh we we need to kind of decouple uh these these seasonal illnesses from our broken healthcare system and a lot of people now have it in their head that the reason that the er rooms are full and uh we have you know, no beds for people and there's nine hour waits at the children's hospitals they think it's because of covid19 Mm-hmm. And because people didn't go and get these shots yeah. and because there is this, this connection in their heads, I'm that's, I fear that now there's two problems with that one. It continues the cycle of paranoia and, uh, and it's fed by the, the, the mainstream news. Uh, but also it takes away from the discussion about, fixing the healthcare system because if you're suddenly saying that oh it's only ha- it's only occurring because some people chose not to wear face covering when they went to the grocery store well no that's not the case our our hospitals were at 104% capacity in 2018 we've had tens of thousands of canadians dying on waiting lists waiting to get treatment and surgeries and see specialists uh back in uh prior to the covid-19 pandemic so this is this is the the real issue, but but unfortunately, yes, there are a lot of people that are, have bought into the pandemic mentality and have attached 
our healthcare system's failings to that. And uh, while I'm all for um, more doctors and more nurses, you know, one of the things things that David Eby's come out uh, trying trying to accomplish, uh, it we we're, we're we're coming up short if if we're only doing it when we see full emergency rooms. Well, th- this is something we should have done in 1992, not 2022. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, unfortunately, I, I agree with you. Um, there, there is still a lot of that um, that insanity where people uh, are definitely taking way, way too many precautions uh, to the point where uh, quality of life is an issue uh, and how it applies to our rights and freedoms. I mean, Time, time will tell. I mean, I think we 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 saw with the uh, the Emergencies Act uh, commission that they're going through now. I mean, I, I think the biggest fear is it's it, it should should have almost not have occurred uh, because now if it comes out that they were justified in using those powers, that we've now entrenched it as as having a precedent. Or had their commission not occurred. There could have always been the the fear that the Fed, whatever federal government was uh, considering it, would have feared backlash. But now they know what what will be the parameters. So yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, yeah, there's there's two things that come to mind uh, to me on that, and I think both of them. I just released an episode with Jacques Boudreau, and we talked a lot about the uh, the commission's inquiry stuff, but. But the one is, you know, throwing money at this healthcare thing. That's all. That's all we've ever done. Like that's all we. Right. That's all that's ever happened. And right. as the these budgets grow every year, and it doesn't matter what. You know, I mean, there's people on the left that are always complaining about the the conservatives, you know, making these cuts to uh, healthcare, which has never happened. It like through through both conservatives and liberals and socialist governments, you've seen nothing but growth in in healthcare spending. I mean, you just if you look at the chart going back even twenty years, it's a straight line up, and the services continue to get worse. And then when a bad uh, uh, sickness like COVID comes around, it exposes all the holes in our healthcare system, right? Right. Uh, yeah, definitely with the healthcare spending, uh, that's not the answer. Uh, you know, asking for more transfers from Ottawa. I mean, like we, we've talked about all through this uh, conversation, uh, simply asking for more money from daddy is just not going to be enough. We need to get innovative. So the best thing that we need is we, well, for one, how about we bring back the nurses in in our province that are not allowed to work because they didn't get uh, shots for a virus that didn't prevent the transmission or are, are they illness. still are they still not allowed to work that's right we still have more than two thousand nurses out of work wow uh, some num- some numbers i've heard as high as five thousand hmm. so while they're they have a new program in place uh, that uh, this government's put in that they're going to uh, put pay for some training in english courses for foreign nurses uh, that are here and pay for them to get their credentials up to snuff. And that's great. I mean, I mean, I obviously don't like the the socialization of it, but I'm like, yes, we need to have people who want to care for us be allowed to do it. Uh, They are now going to uh, just announce they're going to be fast tracking 
getting foreign doctors uh, approved to practice medicine here in BC. And I'm like, that's great. Something we should have done in 1992. But unfortunately, through the monopoly on healthcare, they want to keep that as a choke point. And, yeah. it, and it's 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 shown time and time again that our governments do not have the best interests of our of our citizens of our, of our residents in, in mind. And so, yeah, these are all nice things they're doing now. And uh, or they're changing the pay scale for family doctors to try to attract more. I'm like, well, it's like Thomas Sewell said, he said, there are no solutions. There are only trade offs. Yeah. So there will be consequences to all these actions. I'm just hoping that in the end, at least a few fewer people die on a wait list because of the government's actions and not more. Because unfortunately, the trend is more people suffering, not less. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, And the other thing, to go back to the, I mean, this isn't specific to the uh, Emergencies Act inquiry stuff or the, the commission on the emergencies act whatever it's called um but you'll always see these people these politicians these bureaucrats they when they're talking about how hard the pandemic years were on people they call it covid they they attribute the cause of that to covid and it's the same with the medical establishment and uh the bureaucrats involved there and the lobbyists and the union thugs uh all of them will say Oh, you know, COVID uh, caused all these problems, and and it and like as far as mandates go, nobody protested. Nobody was protesting that COVID existed. You know, like they were protesting these government mandates. They were protesting government right. actions. And the same thing with when it comes to the medical establishment. Nobody is protesting COVID. Like COVID exists, so we're gonna. March and that's COVID has taken our rights or our freedoms or our or our um, access to medical care away. They're protesting government policy, you know. So it's such a it's such a turn of phrase for them to um, to talk that way, and it totally it totally derails any real conversation on 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 policy or change or anything like that. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, that is the case. Where uh, they, they we're not having a proper dialogue on, on it. They say, "Oh, you have you have your rights back." You know, why why are you still protesting? Uh, well, it's because we need to hold the people accountable who felt that they were able to take them from us in the first place. Yeah. And so that is part of the the, the long term uh, discussion. It's 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 how do we continue the momentum of those protests of like the freedom convoy movement uh how do we continue that energy and the momentum when unfortunately some people think that we have nothing to complain about yeah well and 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 do it without getting thrown in prison for you know a perfectly valid complaint right (laughs) right uh and and yeah it's, it's unfortunate that uh a lot of people around the world now know who our prime minister is and they know about the truckers and they know about everyone getting, or a lot of those people getting their bank accounts frozen. So it's everyone knows who, who Justin Trudeau is because yeah. of the actions that they, they took on people that were protesting uh, legitimately. And, and, and unfortunately uh, they, um, 
they they suffered some uh, some hardships. And I, I sympathize because uh, I wasn't the one marching on Ottawa. I wasn't the one marching on Victoria myself. Uh, it's uh, they they took a chance, and and some of them uh, some of them are gonna have a have a record now for forever. You yeah. know, some of the like the the leaders there uh, they're, they're gonna do some jail time that unfortunately that I don't believe should have occurred. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the only thing they're guilty of is is speaking up against the, the totalitarian government. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like so, it, within again within the um, BC Libertarian Party, is there much of a discussion around provincial autonomy? Like, and 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 I ask this because right now in Alberta, we're having you know my old pal uh, Daniel Smith is now premier, and. And the Alberta Sovereignty Act is ruffling a lot of feathers, um, you know, within Alberta. I, I don't understand why in Alberta, but uh, definitely in Ottawa, definitely from the uh, the Laurentian elites, as they're called. Um, so is is that conversation happening in B.C. at all, like within your party or within other parties? Uh, we We definitely have our own party principle our, our our platform piece is that we believe that if we can't negotiate a a sovereignty or autonomy provincially that we would request separation from from the nation uh it's i i'm not speaking well to it right now but it it's not the desirable outcome for our for our province what we want is to have the autonomy and the sovereignty to make decisions for our own province, our own citizens, as opposed to having Ottawa dictating things. So if we were able to obtain that through negotiations, uh, yes, we would like to stay in Canada because there are benefits to it. Having said that, if that can't be done, then yes, we would. We, we advocate that separation from Canada is an option. Yeah. And so, and some in our, and our party would argue that it should be the number one goal, and so be it. But yeah, we're we're again we're trying to take a bit of a softer stance on on a very libertarian issue with decentralization, right? Mm-hmm. We we th- believe that Victoria is a better boss than Ottawa, and just like we think City Hall's more likely to serve you better than Victoria, and so 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 be it. But yeah, speaking to uh, that that new uh, bill that's in uh, that's. <laughs> coming out in Alberta. Uh, what are your, I, I have an opinion. I want to hear your take Darcy. Um, well, to be honest, I, I, I mean, to be honest, like I, I know some of the people that worked on, on it. Uh, and there's like the big debate around, around it is the constitutionality of it. Uh, you know, coming the, it's critics are saying that it's unconstitutional and this and that, um, which I, I, from my from what i can understand isn't the case and i actually haven't seen any evidence as to how they uh came up with that because all it really does is reinforce those barriers w- within the constitution where or, or not those barriers but that delineation of responsibility between uh federal and provincial jurisdiction it just it's they're trying to put a firewall in place so that ottawa can't overstep their 
overstep their uh, jurisdiction. And so to me, it doesn't make any sense to, you know, they're trying to, um, you know, it doesn't make any sense that people are so upset about it because really all it's doing is reinforcing what already exists, right? Yeah, one of one of the bits that uh, I overheard, and I I haven't looked into it myself, but I'm just listening to a CTV news story on it, was suggesting that it's going to give power to the cabinet to make to to change laws without ha- having it voted on, uh, and that 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 seemed uh, a bit a bit odd because uh, I, the the worst thing you could do is put that in place and then simply turn around and have an NDP government come in. And uh, and have these you know unrestrained powers. So I, I was wondering if you had heard that aspect of this uh, sovereignty act and what and yeah, if, you, if there's any discussion on that. Well, yeah, I've heard all kinds of crazy stuff. Most of it coming from you know the legacy media uh, hack journalists who haven't bothered to read the thing. They've just okay. listened to you know opposition uh, people, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I plan to have somebody on the show. I'm hoping to get somebody on next week who can who can talk more to some of it. And I would actually like to, I got to look into it more myself because I'd like to play devil's advocate on it a bit and and uh, and know exactly, you know, where the thinking comes from on some of it. But I can, it it seems to me like that accusation from CTV is is inaccurate from everything okay. I've read. And I did read the document a long time ago when it was, because Danielle Smith came out with this thing uh, in her leadership campaign. I mean, this was, this was a big part of her platform to become leader of the United Conservative Party, right? So... It's yeah, no, and I'll look forward to hearing any discussion that uh, you can bring to the table, any any experts, so so to speak. Uh, I, I I do like listening to some of the guests you, you've you've had on your show in the past, and I'm glad to be one now. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm definitely excited about about Alberta taking that step. Regardless, um, uh, I, I like it because it sets a precedent for other provinces, and and. There's no appetite for it in British Columbia. Yeah, not not at all. We we had um, a couple former BCLP members went off and started their own party, the Wet Wexit Party. Okay. Yeah. And they they floundered. They they were a nothing burger. Uh, there's just no appetite for it, other than of course from you know the the dark corners of of ANCAPs and. <laughs> <laughs> We, my people, I, I, yeah, <laughs> our people, exactly. Yeah. Some of the best people. Yeah, they're great people. <laughs> well, well, but 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 if we see that Alberta having some uh, success uh, in that direction, and uh, then then I'm hopeful that British Columbians will take take note and definitely think about our role in this in this confederation. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I grew up in uh, BC, uh, and I, I, my opinion on it is that there definitely is an appetite for this in rural BC, um, in northern BC, you know. But again, you have this uh, concentration of population in the lower mainland. I think there's like like four million people there, and there's only one million in the rest of 
uh, BC, right? So you have you have this, uh, and, and then again you have the there's cultural differences and there's uh, entrepreneurial differences and and things like that. And there's you know the real blue collar workers and farmers and you know oil field and mining guys in rural BC aren't that connected to the lower mainland, to be honest. And I, I, I've in with a lot of people I've talked to, uh, there, I think there is a, you know, there's a substantial demand for pushback against Ottawa and against Victoria. Yeah. In rural BC. And that's one of the areas that we really feel that we need to grow our presence in is like you said the the interior uh the northern parts of the province because people are more sympathetic to our ideas there having said that we we also find that there are usually uh, ju- just as big government as anybody else it's just they they want they want to be uh their own social spending programs. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So so conservatism is obviously a lot stronger. And I mean, as a conservative, I guess uh, you you one might assume that uh, you do want a little bit more personal autonomy over over uh, yourself and your community. So yeah, it does it does. I I, I hear you on the the rural aspect, uh, but uh, yeah. As as long as Metro Vancouver is uh, dr- driving the the voting and Southern Vancouver Island drive the votes and the who's in our government, I, I don't see us having our own sovereignty act anytime soon. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Alex. This was a lot of fun, and uh, I hope to talk to you soon. Right on. Thanks, Darcy. That was Alex Joel leader of the Libertarian Party of BC. You can find them at libertarian.bc.ca. And if you like the Darcy Jerome podcast, subscribe on Substack.